0: Last week you looked, of course, at Noah, and we looked at Noah's missions. Noah's missions. And we got to the first one pretty, pretty in detail, and we talked about lechayot and l'chachayot and Zerah and seed and all kinds of stuff. We considered Noah's righteousness, his obedience, and his survival skills, his ability to survive. And we ended that with a question, though. How did he do on mission two? Because mission two was the biggie, revive. We had survive, keep them alive. And we had replenish the earth with seed, revive and thrive. And so I want to finish that today. But one more look at Noah's obedience will be useful for us because, and it's about the survival commands. Build an ark, he says, right? We all know this part of the story. Build an ark, enter the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark. You shall take seven pairs of clean animals. So Noah did these things according to everything that God had commanded him. So he did. Now I want you to notice something of microscopic, seemingly, seemingly microscopic importance about the text. Here's how God told them to enter the ark in 6.18. And you shall enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. And then in seven seven, Noah and his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now notice how they did it. They did it exactly as they were commanded to do it. You see it? It's not... It's, it's pretty clear because it's in English. Notice, exactly as commanded. Then again in 713, on this very same day, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his kids, the sons anyway, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons entered the ark. So far, so good. Still, check mark perfect in the obedience column. Just as God said, get on, they got on. Check mark. That is pre-flood, pre-flood. Now notice there's something interesting that the sages point out about why this order was given. Do you have any idea, any thoughts, any random crazy thoughts about why they said, go back one slide for me, Darren. Why it says you shall enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your wife's sons with you. Oh, sons' wives, yeah, them. Any ideas? It's a unique consideration. No hanky-panky on the ark. They're segregated. They are not, they are going in in this particular order. Noah had a prohibition against family relations on the ark. Noah, you, your son, you, your sons, your wife, and your wife's your son's wives go in. No family relations. Now, listen, no sex. Okay, great. Why would you even be thinking about that with all of these animals and the stenches and, you know, being on this boat for a year with your family, wondering if the rain will ever stop? Who would ever be thinking about bringing a, a, a baby into the world in that situation? Except for. Cole Wagner. Now, so that's, that's pre-flood, intra-flood stuff. That's what it says. That's how I want you to go on, and the sages derive that. Now, our focus today, as I said, is post-flood. L'chayot al-paneh et kol ha'aretz, to revive life upon the face of the earth. So we get now, that's six and seven. We spent... A week and a half now on 6 and 7. Now we move to chapter 8. The emergence from the ark also had its fair share of commandments. Let's read a little bit. In 8.16, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that's all flesh that's with you, birds and animals, and be fruitful and multiply. So I just skimmed it, but what you're deriving there is the three commandments. Go out of the ark. Bring out the animals, be fruitful, and multiply. Got it? First one. Go out of the ark with pleasure. Right? Doesn't say it, but you don't have to say it. Go out of the ark with pleasure, I imagine. They went out of the ark. Listen to the command. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. You notice a difference. Do you see the difference? There is no segregation. Men and women are paired. You and your wife go out. You, your sons, and their wives go out. This is different, isn't it? And it's in the Hebrew. You can check it. This is, it's not just a bad English translation. This is how it translates. The men and women are paired. Now, that's important. Commandment two, bring out the animals. Why? I don't know. Maybe with the intention of giving them some direction or order. Maybe with special attention that needed to be given to the clean animals that he was commanded to bring on. Who knows? But Noah, it says, bring them out. And then seemingly those two commandments are going to point to the third commandment, which is what? Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. These are the three we derive from chapter 8. Noah and his wife, be fruitful and multiply. Sons and your wives, be fruitful and multiply. Back in action. Time for fruit, baby. Right? (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what it's saying. Animals, bring them out. Have them breed and multiply. These were the commandments. This is perfectly righteous Noah. Obedient Servant, everything that God commanded, Noah did. Now watch this in slide, a slide, verse 8, 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. You see it? You got to Look you got to read carefully. you got to pay attention. That's what the sages do. That's what we do. Noah isn't coming out hand in hand with his wife. They're not paired up. Noah and his sons went out. And his wife and his sons' wives went out. That's not how it's supposed to be. We're in phase two. This is be fruitful and multiply phase. This is pair up. This is rebuild, revive, be fruitful. And we can see that that language is different. Now, furthermore, if we move on to command the the next commandment, which I told you, bring out with you every living thing. Did it happen? Read chapter 10. Every bring, there's the command. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you. What actually happened? Every animal, every crawling thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families of the ark. Where's Noah? Where's Noah? He was told to bring them out of the ark. And it just says, they stuck together, but they meandered on out of there. Where's Noah? You see... He was supposed to be in charge of this. This was his bigger mission. Survival is important, but Noah, Hashem's saying, we're going to revive. The world is depending on you. And it's almost like Noah is all of a sudden developed the case of the teenage rebellious blues. Like he's not doing the thing that he's commanded to do. Have you ever noticed that? Noah is being. Strangely disobedient. Now this is a unique moment in the Noah story where we don't read the words that we have gotten used to reading. After every commandment, what do we read? And Noah did as God commanded. Everything that God commanded, Noah did. But not here. Not here. Because he didn't. He didn't follow the commandment that he was given. He didn't follow the rules. But God's not finished with Noah. And he's got, Noah has, has proven so much and he's got so much invested in Noah. And even though he's not in revival mode yet, God's not done. Chapter 9 comes along and it's like God's rah-rah, motivational speech to Noah. He says, buddy, listen. Listen. Let's make a covenant. I'm not going to do it again. I'll put this pretty rainbow in the sky. You'll know that I'm never going to do it. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fertile and increase and fill the earth. This is chapter 9. There's that again. Chapter 9, 7. Be fertile then and increase. Abound on the earth and increase on it. There's that again. I mean, are you getting the theme? Make Babies, be fruitful, fill the earth, repopulate it, revive it. Noah, I'm serious about keeping the world alive. That rainbow, it's a good thing. You, the whole earth, and God saying, Noah, you did it. Now go do it. I'll let you derive what it is. But he wasn't going to let Noah go that easy. Why? Because Noah walked with God. Now, last week we talked about walking in the garden. There was someone in between the garden and Noah who walked. Do you remember who it was, walked with God? Enoch, right? Enoch also walked with God. And you know what God did with Enoch? E- God likes guys who walk with him. He just does. I would encourage, guys, walk with God. Okay? But he wasn't going to just let... Noah... You- Noah, listen. Listen, Noah. Come here. little shock. You're, you're off to a rough start here, but here's your wife. Here's your kids, the animal. Go for it. Be, be fruitful. Multiply. Go. Lead the charge, man. It's more than God saying, go sleep with your wife. He's saying, Noah, be the man. Be the leader. Take charge. Do the thing. Be the reviver. Be my obedient friend, servant, partner in creation. Noah, I care about creation. You stayed alive. You survived to make it here. You can be the father of all humanity. Noah, Avinu, our father, Noah, to be remembered in greatness. And what does Noah do? He plants a vineyard and gets drunk. Now, As I said, after a year on a boat with your family, a ton of animals, no hanky-panky, you would want a glass of wine too. (laughs) Who wouldn't? But Noah gets hammered, slammed, and in essence, he says no to God. That's basically how the Noah story ends. And it's really sort of tragic because, I mean, of course, the, the, the weak link in my argument, some would say, is, well, the world got repopulated. I mean, what, what are you even talking about? Well, listen, if you, if you segregate men from their wives and then set them free, I mean, there's a natural process of things that's going to happen. Kids are going to be made, Okay. That's I'm not saying that there were babies are born. Society grows when when men and women live together. That's not the point. The point is Noah was supposed to be the man righteous God's man. But for Noah's part, what do we read about Noah's great efforts after the flood? Where do we read the story, the narrative of his fantastic rebuilding of the world and sharing with everyone about God and the revival of this new world. Where is that in the Torah? It's nowhere because he's uncovered in a cave drunk. That's how the story ends. Now, Hasidic teaching takes a very interesting lean on why Noah did that. It's not that he happened to get drunk or anything or end up naked in the cave. It was that he actually wanted to do that. He set out to get absolutely obliterated, plastered drunk. Do you know why? Because, again, Hasidic Judaism, looking for the really good and everything, says he wanted to erase the consciousness of the nakedness that man had discovered in the Garden of Eden, meaning... When they ate from that tree, they became conscious of their awareness. So Noah set out to get obliterated, plastered, got drunk so that he could forget all of that and be naked again. I mean, it's a really unique, unique look, okay? But, but we're not gonna go with that one. We're, we're not gonna go with that one. And you know something I told you last week about the, the, the idea that Noah gets some criticism. Now listen, Noah, again, is considered righteous in Judaism, but he gets some criticism, as we talked about last night because, uh, last week, because, and last night, he didn't bring people on the boat. Remember we talked about that? He wasn't a good evangelist. And I, I don't like that one very much, because... We talked about how the world was completely corrupt, full of violence, destined for destruction. Maybe he tried. Maybe no one listened. Maybe for over that period of time, the Talmud and other sources tell us he was not treated well. You know he had to have been made fun of, probably threatened. All kinds of bad things probably happened to Noah. His called crazy, family threatened, and maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, Noah didn't want to go back to the way it was. You ever thought about that? Probably not, because most people haven't thought about much of what I'm saying. Not because it's just sort of a sort of hidden in there, but really cool. But have you you, you could understand why Noah was not overly excited about recreating the world that he had just come from with all these terrible people. I I know this has probably never happened to any of you. Where someone has treated you very, very poorly, or you've done something for someone, and they did not receive it well or with any sense of gratitude at all and then God gave you an instruction to be reconciled or to help them or to favor them after they had treated you like crap, and, it, and, and you, you jumped for joy, right? You rejoiced at the opportunity to go and, and serve this person who treated you badly. That, that's how you do it every time, right? I'm sure, because you're strong disciples of Yeshua. We should do that. And that's what Noah was tasked with doing. I know what you came from, but rebuild it. Maybe he didn't want to. You could understand. And he said, hey, hanging with the fam in a vineyard, in a cave, natural air conditioning, it's pretty good. I'll just stick here. But that wasn't the mission. That was not the mission. The mission was to be the righteous servant of revival. Survival and revival. And he needed to step up and lead. I told you, the thing happened where the world was repopulated, and we read about all their generations and everything. It happened. But but it didn't happen because of Noah's strong and righteous leadership. And God's heroes are about something different than that. God's heroes are about something that you have heard known as the higher good. That is the good of others, the tough stuff, taking uncomfortable action to do things in the world or taking uncomfortable action for us when we've been wronged or done something, had something done to us, but we we continue to serve. We don't, we don't go off in a cave and seclude ourselves from the rest of the world. We continue to try to make it a better place to be because that's what Our mission is. It's called Tikkun Olam in Judaism. Repair the world. That was Noah's first example of Tikkun Olam, right? I heard a great podcast from Rabbi Fari about Noah. It was called Me Versus We. Me Versus We. And his question was, why don't we call Noah Father? Why isn't Noah called Noah Avinu? Like, why do we have the patriarchs? Avraham Avinu. In the merit of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we just said it. Where's Noah's, man? He is actually the, he is actually the father of all living humanity. He doesn't merit this term, our father Noah. And the teaching over the last couple of weeks now gives you the answer. Self interest is easy. It's easy to look out for yourself and for your family. That's easy to do. It's easy to build an ark for 120 years when God says your family is going to be saved by this. To do things that ensure your survival, to use your skills and blessings to ensure your future is happy. And you should absolutely do that. You should absolutely do that. Everyone in here should be doing that. But the mission for Noah, obviously, we know, was much bigger than himself. And so is our mission, much bigger than ourselves. And bigger than our peace of mind, and bigger than our security, and bigger than our survival. Serving the higher good matters. It's the hero's story. And I can't help but think of Yeshua, of course, in this, because I'm a Messianic Jewish teacher. You know, there's a a school of thought in theology that says that Yeshua... His mission was strictly to the Jewish people. That that, that's why he came. And it's, it's not derived out of thin air. It's derived out of things that he actually said, like, I didn't come for you. Don't go through the Gentile territories. These are things he said. She said, come on, master, give me something. He said, I, and, and remember, her... her t- A Syrophoenician woman, her gut-wrenching response, I know, but even the dogs deserve crumbs from the table. So the idea is derived that Yeshua came for the Jewish people. But, but that in that process, and I know this is out of the box, and I'm not telling you that this is what I believe or you have to believe. But in that process... Yeshua rose to the occasion of Savior of the world because he recognized the mission was much bigger than Israel. But God so loved the world that he said, I know. We're not getting that's not the message we're having. I'm just telling you that there's an idea that says that Yeshua did what heroes do in God's world. You see survival. But you say, what about all of this? Daniel Lancaster did a great teaching called How the Gospels Should Have Ended. And in, the, in that teaching, it's true. Yeshua could have come. All the Jews should have embraced him. The kingdom should have been established. The nation should have been destroyed, vanquished. And all Israel should have lived happily ever after. In other words, Israel should have thrived alone. Alone. And Yeshua, without a doubt, had what it took to get that done. Remember this this gem? You don't think I can call to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal 12 legions? I could take you all out and restore this kingdom now. But that's not the mission. The mission is much, much Bigger. In other words, I serve the higher good, the highest good. It's my mission to do both, to see Israel survive and thrive and bring the nations to Israel, to bring life to the nations, survive, revive, thrive. Noah needed to see beyond himself. And yes, this is an interpretation, but maybe that is why he's not Noah Avinu. You see what fathers do? Fathers look out for their posterity. Fathers create a better world for those that are coming behind them. He didn't build for the generations to come, and that, I think, was his great failure, righteousness of self, which made him great for the survival, but not so much for the revival. But, you know, long before we we see Yeshua and meet Yeshua, we move into this week's Torah portion, which is called Lech Lecha, we meet one, goes by the name of Avram at this point in the story. We meet this guy who could like not see much other than what was outside of himself. He was the friend of God. He merits to be called Father Abraham, to see and serve the world. And so here's what we've seen in the Torah thus far in our series called In the Beginning. Cosmic creation, right? The world created this massive thing with, with God's desire to befriend man. And then that kind of bums. And then the story of a family in Noah who God entrusted to rebuild, but they didn't really get the task. They, didn't, they weren't covenant co-creators. But this, me, this week, we meet God's first covenant partner, his friend, Avram, our father, Abraham. The Bible's first real real hero, who is told, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And guess what he did? He went. Survival wasn't a concern. He didn't say, All right, okay, I hear you. Tell me where to go and I'll go. I, I hear you. Tell me, tell me what I'm going to do when I get there and I'll go. Okay, all right. Well, tell me exactly what path and tell me what I want to know and that everything's going to be fine and, and I'll go. And God told him something like he told Noah, build the world. That's in essence what he says to him in Lech Lecha in one of the, the most famous of all Torah verses. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now in the first part of that, there's a whole bunch of really good stuff for Abram, right? Really good stuff. Like, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless the people who treat you right. I'll curse the ones who curse you. That's really good survival language. Anyone who heard God say that would be excited. But I don't think that's what Abraham actually heard. He did. But it's that last line that Abram focused on, and we see it in every aspect of his life going forward from here. In you the whole world is going to be blessed. And what's it start with? It starts with what Abraham did in the next line. It starts with obedience. It starts with listening. So he heard all those things. And Abram said, you got it. I'll do it. And he took off. And he took Lot with him. And he took, of course, his wife and he he took, it says, all the nephesh, all the people that they had made, all the disciples that Abram had made around him in the community that he lived. You see the difference already between Noah? Noah didn't make disciples, but Abraham took all these souls with him. And he said, listen, here's what's going to happen. God's given us this incredible promise. I know. I know. But let's just trust him and go. And that's why he is Avram, uh, Avraham Avinu. Because a father looks out for his posterity. He took that mission so very seriously. All of the families of earth shall bless themselves by you. Abram, if you do what I say, You have a mission in the world. The world will be blessed if you take it on. Everyone in here is a son or daughter of Abraham, whether through blood or adoption. That's a pretty big mission, right? He did it. And his response, Abraham went forth. That's what he did. He was 75 years old when he started his mission of revival. So, what's the takeaway? I don't know. No, the takeaway is we haven't gotten to it yet. But in Abraham, we're going to see over the next few weeks what we should look like as sons and daughters of Abraham, disciples of the Messiah Yeshua, and children of the Most High God. Shabbat Shalom.